There was no reason why we couldn't start measuring something like customer experience and really unpacking what that meant. And it sounds very squishy to people. And, you know, everybody nods their heads and says, yeah, of course we want to create a good experience. But when you actually peel that back, people don't really understand what that looks like and how it actually translates into revenue. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. In today's episode, I am joined by Hillary Noon, who is the Executive Vice President of Insights, Analytics, and Experience at Pursuant. She's been at Pursuant doing analytics for four years, but has spent her entire career helping nonprofits think about how they can build donor loyalty, which is exactly what we're diving into. She just recently released a new benchmark report that talks about how do you actually craft and create donor loyalty amongst today's donors. It's an incredible conversation and you don't want to miss it. So let's dive in. Hey, Hillary. Hi. Hi, Noah. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for joining us so early in the morning. I know I'm East Coast. I'm about to have lunch and you just woke up, I assume. <laughs> Not a problem. Got my coffee. So, <laughs> awesome. And I know, like, because we kind of speak that same language, mm. but for those that aren't familiar with Pursuant, just share a little bit about Pursuant before we kind of dive into the conversation today. Sure. Yeah. Pursuant's a, a mid sized fundraising and marketing agency. We work exclusively with nonprofit organizations, and we really cover the entire donor pyramid. Uh, our focus is on data-driven uh, kind of insights that then can be applied to driving long-term value. So our emphasis in a lot of the things that we do is all about how we can build those connections, deeper uh, connections with the individuals who are passionate about the causes that we all work for and support. Absolutely. And that's so important to be data-driven, especially now. And you guys definitely come along side of organizations to help them kind of uncover those insights within their data and then ultimately implement that. But before we kind of Mm -hmm. dig into like the data and the research study and all of that, I want to take a step back because I think it's important because Hillary, I know you've been at Pursuant for four years, but you were at the American Cancer Society before that. And -hmm. when I look at like your LinkedIn, you've really been in the doing good business your whole working life. What I have. sparked you <laughs> to commit to that, though? Like, that's not like, uh, you know, hey, I want to just go do this for the rest of my life. But like, what what pushed you down that journey? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and I was reflecting on that. And, you know, sometimes you end up taking a path that you didn't quite expect. Uh, but I really think it comes back to uh, how I was raised. And my parents were always focused on giving back. Uh, we were very involved in our church. We And then we also did a lot of volunteering and donating uh, to different causes, going to museums and things like that. And I remember uh, every year, uh, kind of around the holiday time, we would sit back and and actually look at the different organizations that we were going to support for the next year. And um, that discipline was just kind of in me. uh, And I don't think I quite realized it until uh, I I was thinking about that um, with other people who, and talking with other people about their how they wanted to pursue their careers. And so I didn't necessarily seek it out, but I always really liked the idea of bringing business concepts that I was learning in school 
uh, and, and college and, you know, my graduate programs and applying that back to nonprofits because I felt like I wanted to kind of use my power for good, if you will, you know, use the, um, uh, <laughs> the work that I had done and the things that I was seeing in, um, uh, in, in various uh, different areas that I was working in, but apply those back to the nonprofit um, space. And so I got my, my first, you know, first uh, job out of um, graduate school in a nonprofit organization and just kind of kept going from there. Absolutely. And it's so interesting how every time I ask this question, it really goes back to like a story, whether it was in high school or college or in your case, you know, basically from the womb, <laughs> you know, <laughs> forward because of your parents. Mm. It, it's this idea of like generosity or something that yeah. was instilled in you by something, whether you were given something that kind of introduced you to that. And so I love kind of unpacking that because I think there's a shared story there and yeah. something that as nonprofit leaders, because I, I spent seven years working in international relief nonprofits running mm. growth. And my story is very similar, except later in life, I was just like, you know, hey, I want to do marketing, but I want to go do that for good. You know, if, if, if people can create products that make people stand in line for six hours, right. middle of the morning, how can we not use those same, same concepts to really drive the most important causes forward? And so that was well, kind of my motivation there too. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that you say that because whenever you listen to uh, a brand expert, you know, in the commercial space, they're always talking about creating emotional connection. And mm. I, I feel like that's an example of where nonprofits, we have a leg up on commercial because, I mean, we are all about the emotional connection. We're saving lives. We're, we're, we're transforming people and transforming um, society. And so we should be able to create that emotional connection much more easily than a, a commercial product. Absolutely. And I think that's where I was kind of going with that is that this idea of cultivating generosity through this emotional connection to a cause and bringing people into that experience is, is so essential. And I think sometimes we get so caught up on like running that next list and that next segment mm. and sending that next appeal and sending that email blast. And I think it's interesting the words that we use as a industry to describe our actions. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's like, how do we draw people like you were into the cause ecosystem? You know, maybe it's through your childhood but then into kind of emotionally connecting with those causes and then make that a habit over time as well. And that's right. not something that's really talked about. And I know we're going to talk about that kind of like emotional connection or kind of how do you mm. build that as part of today's conversation? Because you guys actually just released Pursuant kind of the first ever donor loyalty benchmark report. Um, good. And this whole idea of donor loyalty is really interesting because we have customer loyalty. We know what that means. You know, we have mm. our customer loyalty cards. We might get discounts. Or maybe we're just brand evangelists for, you know, I love Patagonia or other brands that I'm loyal to regardless. And I'm kind of an advocate for them. But I hadn't heard this phrase before on referring to donor loyalty. So I want you to, if you could, share a bit about the study and what led you to kind of invest mm -hmm. in making this report happen. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you made the point that, um, you know, there's this, this real nice bridge between talking about emotional connection and talking about what that, what that does for loyalty. And, and that's really what drove us to want to do something like this uh, report. And um, I personally have been very passionate about this concept 
Um, I felt for while I was working at the American Cancer Society, you know, there was there was no reason why we couldn't start measuring something like customer experience and really unpacking what that meant. And it sounds very squishy to people. And, you know, everybody nods their heads and says, yeah, of course we want to create a good experience. But when you actually peel that back, people don't really understand what that looks like and how it actually translates into revenue. So, uh, that's what I was able to do with the American Cancer Society was actually translate the experience that people were having, the measurement of that experience into forecasting revenue. And so we were able to kind of draw that connection. And I, I wanted to bring something like that to the broader uh, sector and really understand what the drivers were for experience and for long-term loyalty uh, for different types of nonprofit organizations. Because I felt like a big part of our job today in this very crowded nonprofit space where, you know, donors are changing and evolving the way that they give, we have to be able to create better connections. We have to rise above um, that noise and help a donor, uh, first of all, choose our cause, but then also want to continue to support for the long term because they feel that emotional connection and because they feel that loyalty and that bond. So, that was kind of some of the impetus for, for creating this report. Uh, we see a lot of studies around, you know, kind of loyalty and retention within specific channels. You know, you see studies on online versus offline. There are benchmarking studies out there about direct response and about, you know, um, uh, peer-to-peer events. But you don't really have anything that steps back and says, but what is, you know, what are the drivers of loyalty to an organization overall? Um, and so that's what we were seeking to understand. Yeah, and I think that idea that you mentioned on that nonprofit's role is really to connect with donors and then obviously keep them connected to the cause. And that's really why we are doing this podcast because we want to illuminate some of those strategies. And you know, mm. we've done research here where we kind of I've, have unpacked some of the variables that say why donors keep giving and why donors stop giving. Mm. And it does relate back to that connectedness. And we kind of took it a step further and looked at some relationship science and was like, how do you actually drive connectedness? Not just in like Mm -hmm. a brand to human relationship, but in a human to human relationship. Because we fundamentally believe, you know, giving is so deeply personal. And that's what landed us on responsiveness. But we believe that responsiveness actually drives loyalty. And you really share four key insights. But I would love for you to like unpack those and specifically what listeners should do in response to those. You know, leaders are always yeah. hearing like retentions down or number of donors giving to charities is down and this, that, and the other. What I love about pursuing you is you always try to turn that into an action. It's not just like a mm-hmm. ooh, reality, but it's like, what's the response? So let's start with number one, which was yeah. that the majority of donors transact with organizations. Mm-hmm. And I love the use of the word transact. Um, mm-hmm. So unpack what transact means and why yeah. do you think this is? Yeah, this was one of the metrics that we did not seek to uh, to measure uh, from the outset, but kind of came out of the data and was a bit of a surprise to us. So we looked at, um, you know, we were looking at number of gifts in a donor's lifetime as part of the input into measuring um, lifetime value. And what popped to us was the sheer number of, uh, or the portion of individuals who only had one gift in their lifetime 
just, I mean, kind of let that sit. <laughs> One gift yeah. in their entire lifetime, and um, we're looking at 10 years of data with, with the participating organizations. And so 62% had only one gift in their lifetime, which was kind of stark to us. Wow. Uh, and, and so we use the term transact because really that, that represents what must have been for them a transaction. Either they were asked by somebody to give or you know, they were doing perhaps a little test gift or they were literally just transacting in some way um, to give uh, a, a gift to this particular organization. So that was a bit of a surprise to us and led to a bunch of other questions and leads to quite a bit of dialogue in terms of um, when we share this information. I mean, I think for me, it's um, the, the next round of analysis that we wanted to do was understanding how that population was different than the population that did have more than one gift. You know, what was it about those individuals that, um, uh, that caused them to to want to be connected to these organizations, and we did. We were able to see that a majority of those who only had one gift in their lifetime were associated with peer to peer events, which makes sense in some ways because they're typically not directly connected to the cause, but they are more connected to a friend or family member. And so, I think for to, to get to your question around you know, what does an organization do about this? I, I think, first of all, it's kind of understanding what that metric looks like for you. You know, are you looking at that? Are you looking at giving across a particular, across your organization? So not just limited to, you know, what I'm personally responsible for, which is causes you to maybe break down your barriers a little bit internally. Um, take a look at, is a donor giving uh, just once to your organization or are they giving in other areas, they may not be retaining to your program, but are they retaining in other ways? And what does that say about kind of how you should be communicating to them and perhaps how you shouldn't be um, if you're only treating them as a one-time donor, for example? Yeah, and I love how you said that, like, you shouldn't just see this and be like, oh, well, let's jump into action, but first starting yeah. with the data and saying, mm -hmm. you know, where are we? And I think I saw a stat that like less than 50% of fundraisers even know what their donor retention rates are, if you yes. ask them. Um, that just came out recently. And I was like, my goodness, like that's an incredible number. And so starting with the data is so essential. And then I think one thing that you pointed out, when, because you guys went a layer deeper, is that, you know, a lot of these donors in the 62% were peer-to-peer -peer donors. Mm. And one thing I, and not that, that's the insight. But one thing that I found out personally was that a lot of times when I looked at donor retention when I was running growth, because I was responsible for how do we grow do donor lifetimes, so I was looking at these numbers regularly, is that the real insights are when you start segmenting the donors by intent or interest and right. not just like their involvement. Like, oh, they gave Absolutely. this much. So this, yeah. because that's where you can start digging in and being, you know, like, oh, wow, like we found out that the difference between someone that gave first through this mechanism versus this mechanism was actually, you know, 100% more likely to have a higher, you know, like or they had 100% increase in donor lifetime value. And we were able to see that because like this program was more sticky because they were onboarding with this. So what was the intent? What was the interest mm -hmm. there? And we were able to unpack that and actually really start focusing on not why, in our case, all these donors weren't giving and being like, oh, well, like, oh, they must have not cared or, you know, coming up with all these different things. But we actually looked at the other percent who were yeah. giving and said, how do we model some of these behaviors? Yeah. And we got really granular. And, but I think depending on the complexity of your fundraising program, you can get granular or just 
dig one layer deeper to really find like what are the behaviors and actions that donors that are sticking around and staying connected are taking or what are you doing differently with those? Is that similar to what you would recommend? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love the, um, you know, kind of the, the use of the, of the term intent or intention. Uh, I think, you know, stepping back and understanding that these are, these are people, these are humans with emotions and um, motivations and, and personal stories like you started out our conversation today you know, those are the things that ultimately drive behavior. And if you can understand that, instead of just focusing on the behavior itself, uh, whether you're doing kind of a motivation-based segmentation or you're simply talking to donors and trying to understand what's behind some of those, um, or looking at data in terms of where they first came in, to your point, um, all of those things are, I think, a little much more important than, than the outcome. So this, you know, what we have in this study are very much the metrics, but what you need to then do is start to dig behind that and understand what is, what is driving that behavior. We often talk about, you know, understanding the intersection between what people are saying and perceiving and feeling and then what they're doing because the truth lies somewhere in between. <laughs> always. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's always the case, especially mm-hmm. the complex environment that nonprofit leaders are operating in today. You know, there's so many, yes. so much data, there's so much competition, like everything, everything is just more complex. And so feeling out so those intersections and kind of teasing those out are essential. And so I think this leads to like our next thing because this is uh, the next insight that you shared in the report because I, this is something we talk a lot about is that uh, when we say, hey, we're, we're, you know, one thing that we, we, we talk about our Gabe, our CEO says is that we feel like we're in the middle of a generosity crisis, and the reason we say that is not because, because people push back and they're like, not because giving is totally down. Because if you look at the past 10 years, giving has obviously increased, especially in this country overall. But the reason we've talked about this is that the fact that like retentions remain flat, new donor retention is, is, is not great. And the biggest factor is that the number of donors that are just opting out of giving to charitable organizations mm-hmm. continues to increase. I think if you, depending on what numbers you look at, it's like, there's been an 18% to a 25% drop in the number of people actually even contributing to the generosity ecosystem. And yeah. so we feel like major gifts and other things are actually covering up this kind of like bubble that currently exists. And yeah. that's similar to what you came out with with your insight number two, where you said most organizations mm-hmm. are covering poor retention rates which lar- with large volumes of new donors. So kind of mm-hmm. unpack that and what yeah. you mean by covering poor retention rates. Yeah. One of the, the metrics that we uh, feel is really important for an organization to, uh, to be looking at on a regular basis is, is something we call coverage ratio. And uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with that, um, but it is really kind of, I, I like to think of it as a water table, you know, so every year you're looking at, you start out with a base of donors and you're looking at how many new you're bringing in uh, and then how many are dropping out the bottom, as well as how many you're reactivating from the past. And you obviously, you want the, the, the ones that are new and the ones that are reactivating to, to equal more than the ones that are dropping out the bottom so that you're growing over time. Um, and so we look at that as at 100%. And we say, if you're over 100%, you're, you're doing great. And if you're um, below, then you need to kind of look at what's driving that. But even if you're over 100%, there's a more of a story there because you have to understand, well, 
does that mean that I'm, you know, I'm just acquiring a lot of people, but they're churning out the bottom? Um, or, you know, am I doing a really good job of retaining them when they come? So it's looking at those different levels and understanding the story. I think to your point, in, in our study, because we did have a few organizations that um, make the majority of their revenue from peer-to-peer and we're getting large volumes of donors coming through, um, that that volume of new donors uh, was masking the fact that they had really poor retention rates. So as a whole in the study, our coverage ratio was over 100%, but retention year to year in the 2017 to 2018 period was 34%, which is, I think most Yikes. of us would say, not, yeah. <laughs> not sustainable. No, um, not at all. Yeah. So what do, yeah. what do organizations do? So obviously, again, yeah. start with the data. So what is your yep. coverage ratio? Right. Um, but then what? Yeah, then I think it's, um, you know, stepping back and, and kind of taking a look at what your objectives are. So if you are shrinking as a whole, if your organization is shrinking, and to your point, the broader landscape, we're seeing some shrink- shrinkage and just people philanthropically who are supporting organizations. So, you know, if that's the case, you know, then you probably do need to focus on some acquisition strategies. And, and there's lots of different ways of going about acquisition and based on the organization and kind of how you bring people into your, into your um, doors, you need to kind of take a look at that and invest in that and understand what that's doing for you in the long term. And I think it's also acquiring the right kinds of donors. So going back to our conversation about the 62%, And instead, focusing on, you know, the other, the balance of that, the individuals who are actually giving more than one gift in their lifetime, those are the kinds of people you want to acquire, right? So, if you invest, because we all know acquisition is expensive, if you invest in acquisition, you want to make sure that you're acquiring people who are going to retain and are going to be with you for that long term. Um, if, in fact, you're doing a good job of bringing in donors, like in this case, we had a number of organizations that, that were doing a good job, then your, your attention and your investment percentage, as you're looking at your budget year to year, needs to weigh heavily on retention and cultivation and stewardship, which we've noticed, I'm sure you have too, and you work with different clients, that tends to be something that people cut um, because... <laughs> You know, when you're just looking at it as a line item and you're talking about things like whether it's newsletters or thank you calls or what have you, those are the things that don't have an immediate ROI, right? Because people, some people give um, in response to those things, but they're not, that's not the intention. And, um, and yet, those are the things that build that connection over time and that help donors feel like this is why I'm giving and this is what I'm giving to. Absolutely. And I think that's, a huge factor because, you know, donor retention has been well socialized, researched, and really it's a wrung out topic amongst fundraising mm. circles. We're not the first podcast to talk about retention. Right, and the right. Of it. Yeah, we've not seen correlated improvements, you know, mm-hmm. and I think this idea of investment, both financially at the executive level to say, hey, this is important, we're going to put money behind it, but then also just the strategies and doing the work to really map out how adding, you know, retention and cultivation plays actually impacts the donor lifetime value. So what, what, why have you, why do you believe this outside of mm-hmm. maybe just lack of like understanding and measurement? Um, is there anything else nonprofits can do to kind of, at least for them, turn the tide on the donor retention conversation? 
So, you know, we did see some bright spots in this study that I think can, could lead to some interesting um, thoughts in this area. Uh, one of the things that I loved about including all different types of organizations, so, you know, everything from faith-based, arts and culture, you know, health uh, and, and education, by, by looking at all of those different types of organizations, you start to kind of understand some of the best practices that these institutions have who raise money in different ways and they can learn from one another. So for example, arts and culture and faith have a different, uh, you wouldn't necessarily put those two together, but they're though they both had really high retention rates, um, when compared to some of the others in the study. And when we peeled it back, you know, their business model encourages regular engagement, Right. If you think about faith, there's typically yeah. a kind of either a tithing method, uh, methodology, or you know, kind of discipline. With arts and culture, there's a regular um, engagement around specific events or activities, and so there's this built-in mechanism of um, of engagement and a reinforcement of the mission. And um, so that was kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah, I love um, that idea of that because yeah. that's something that we would when I was doing consulting with nonprofits, we'd be like, how do you actually increase the number of touch points? in a value yeah. add way that you have with your supporters. Like, and you're right that a faith based or an arts and culture have kind of built in, but for other organizations, they can actually design these or kind of create these into their cultivation yeah. programs. Exactly. But it's all about that touch point. Yeah. Like how do you increase the touch points? So. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, it's interesting because uh, American cancer society was an example of an organization where we had to create those and um, because we didn't have a physical presence and we didn't have, you know, a natural recurring um, uh, engagement opportunity. And, and we did find that when we measured, you know, the number of, like we had an involvement index that we created. And so when you looked at the number of touches, you know, the lifetime value was directly um, correlated in terms of how much more you would see from those individuals as soon as you added on another involvement with every increasing involvement, which it kind of makes intuitive sense, doesn't it? Yeah, no, I definitely think it's kind of like, you know, there was this whole like movement a few years back about like dating your donors and kind of this idea that like, if you get mm -hmm. them to kind of go on the next adventure or you get them to like maybe spend, right. you know, an afternoon with you rather than just like a coffee. Those are the types of engagements that are going to deepen that relationship and that connectedness. And I think like one thing yeah. that we saw when I was working um, for the humanitarian nonprofit is that we had like key almost like milestones in the donor journey mm. where like if we got them from, you know, zero to, to point three, the increase was huge. And then it kind of flatlined again. And then it would increase again when we got to a different engagement point. And those engagement points for us was like, if we got them to a donor event, like an impact event, because we had a lot of impact events for donors where we tried to connect like-minded people together because we wanted mm. to be a community builder around the causes and kind of the philosophy of investment that we were trying to cultivate as an organization. Um, that was another, that was a huge increase. So like if we could get them to an event where they engage with other donors that were like-minded, increased lifetime value significantly. Then, you know, we had other engagement opportunities that were bigger than that. But then if we got them to go on a trip with us, they basically, oh, the retention yeah. rates were like 95% from there. Like once they Makes went on sense. a trip, their donor lifetime value quadrupled and their retention rates were nearly, you know, in the 90% range, which is incredible. So yeah. I think finding those or creating those in your kind mm -hmm. of donor journey mapping is is essential, especially today. I, I completely agree. 
The um, the other thing that that I think we uncovered, which again makes intuitive sense, but was instructive, was the difference between uh, retention rates uh, and other loyalty indicators among smaller nonprofits versus larger ones. And um, we had a, a group of uh, some of the participating organizations in a room, and, and you know, a couple of the representatives from smaller nonprofits were always kind of feeling like they were the, um, the, the, the little guys at the table, and you know, they, they couldn't really offer very much. And yet, here, we were able to show within this study that, hey, you guys are doing some things really well that are driving connectivity and stickiness among your donors because of the personal nature of how you're able to engage them that the big guys could really learn from. And so it was a, it just was an interesting turning of the tables a little bit um, because, you know, we often talk about uh, the resources and the capabilities that larger nonprofits have. And yet the smaller ones are doing some things um, right in terms of how they engage and retain their donors. Uh, are you able to share any of those? Because I think those are really important as well as like what what were some of those things? Because I do think like in some ways as we get bigger, we try to do things that are process driven rather than the fact that yeah. it's relational driven. And we almost replace yeah. relationships with process that basically then forces into a transactional relationship because you can't, you can't, you, if you and I were trying to build a relationship, we can't do that through process without relationship on top of that. There might be some intentionality there through process, but they have to have that humanness. And I feel like small orgs get that right. So how, how, what were some of those? Yeah. You share? yeah I mean, a few of the, um, a few of the things that emerged and I'm probably not going to remember all of them, but uh, they were, they're pretty basic things. Um, I mean, you know, personal phone calls to donors. And I think in the example that, uh, that I'm recollecting right now was down to people who gave a hundred dollars, you know, which is um, for a smaller organization doable for a larger uh, that starts to get difficult. Um, but they, they also responded to any comment that was coming through uh, in an unstructured way. And what I mean by that is through social media or through comment mail uh, and frequently, those are the kinds of things that in a large organization, you know, we may be, we may respond, but we typically kind of let those things accumulate and then we might do an analysis and then, you know, we come back and we discuss what we're going to do about it. Whereas in a smaller organization, they literally have somebody whose whole job is focused on, among other things, but they are literally responding to each, um, each comment uh, that comes through and attempting to then put that into a pipeline for further engagement. So those are just a few of the um, the examples uh, that that emerged uh, that I thought were again not rocket science, but um, simple things that provided that personal touch and made the donor feel like somebody was paying attention to them. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in our responsive framework that we've designed, we just call that listening. You know, <laughs> like they're listening <laughs> to the donor. Yeah. You know, like right. we try to keep it really right. simple. Like you know, tactic mm-hmm. one: just listen to the donor signals, whether those are direct. Mm-hmm. You know first party signals or actions or intents or data that you're getting, but then actually just like connecting and suggesting next steps to each of those donors. And I think the great thing is, is that we're at a point where previously batching and bulk mass approach was really the only thing we could do because because the technology just didn't exist to personalize at scale. But I think now, and even some of the stuff that you all have at Pursuant um, that kind of can help 
navigate the complexities of data and help you more personalize those mm. responses are yeah. helping nonprofits actually deliver a more human experience at scale, which ultimately is responsiveness, but also leads to donor loyalty. Um, and I think it's so key okay. as we move forward is to try to, again, find that intersection between humanness and technology to kind of create these personalized experiences at scale for all your donors. That's right. No, I think you, I think you really did um, highlight something there in terms of just because you are a larger organization or even a mid-sized organization, you may not have the resources to contact everybody one-on-one. There are tools that are available. Um, you know, we certainly at Pursuant have, have the capability to support that, um, as do many others. And I think the other thing that we're seeing along those lines is the use of video, you know, I mean, it's kind of amazing the the difference when you use video versus just a kind of a more flat um, type of engagement. It, it does create a little bit more of the personal touch, but it also uh, is a little bit of a proxy, I think, for the ex- a personal experience, right? So if you can't actually visit a place or you can't see the direct impact that an organization is having on um, the mission recipient's you can you can feel it through video much more so than you can through reading a story. Absolutely, and I've I've kind of thought, and not to get too far like advanced, but even just basic video, but things like um, VR and AR, mm-hmm. and all of these things are yes. really starting to actually democratize experience. Yes. And coming yeah. from the international relief world, where there's huge physical distance typically from mm. our donors and the good, like we were able to use video to basically reduce the distance between the giver and the good. And I think organizations, and one thing that we advocate for as part of our responsive framework is that, you know, you have to break down silos and reduce the distance between the giver and the good to be able to build connectedness because ultimately they don't fully want a relationship directly with your organization. They're connected with the cause and you're helping them facilitate that almost in the form of a platform. Being able to use video and other technologies to kind of facilitate that, even tools that like we have at Virtuous and other things to kind of make that more personalized, I think is what drives up connectedness, which leads to retention, which ultimately leads leads to donor loyalty, which is kind of the case that you all were making. And so I know like you've done this initial study and... Again, donor loyalty is such like a natural thing. Like I think people are like, of course we want to do that. But like you mentioned coverage ratio, you men- mentioned other data, but like how does an organization, like a leader listening to this right now who's on their way to the office, they're sitting in the car and they're heading into their like, you know, staff meeting and six emails from the board and all this other, you know, junk that yeah. they have to go through every day. Mm. What what do they do with this? Like what mm. what what now? Because yeah. we know it's important, but like where do we go from here? Like talk to that CDO, VP of development, director of development that's like on her way to a meeting. Yeah. Great. So I think leadership dedication to long-term value and a willingness to invest in that is probably the most important thing. Um, We see this day in and day out with um, partners of ours, clients, uh, where the, you know, the leader says this is what they want and they certainly, um, talk that way. And then, you know, a year goes by. And if those, uh, the, the revenue coming in the door for that fiscal year is falling short, then, you know, the investment commitment to the long-term value based, um, tactics and strategies 
starts to diminish, particularly at the board level. So I think for um, those of us who are in uh, those leadership roles for a chief development officer, a chief marketing officer, who is who is responsible might be listening now for um, educating their board and educating their CEO and their and their CFO, honestly, um, about what this means. Having that commitment and being able to help translate for those leaders what the bottom line impact uh, is going to be on this kind of work. Of, of this kind of work is, is extremely important. So having the ability to speak about um, long-term value, which again can be seen as a little bit more um, soft and squishy, but translating that into a lifetime value measure um, and, and kind of the bottom line impact that that can drive for not only the organization, but for um, the mission uh, that's an extremely important uh, step for any leader to take. So I would say, if you're not already measuring lifetime value, and we we propose a fairly simple um, uh, calculation for how to get there in in this study. Um, there's lots more um, complex ways of doing it, but we wanted everybody to be able to get their head around it and to be able to, if they wanted to, apply it within their organization. So I would say, if you're not doing that, do that. And then begin to translate any strategy that you're working on into the impact that it will have. Draw that connection between um, retaining a donor, um, retaining a certain type of donor um, over the long term. Secondly, I would say directly related to that is a commitment to work collaboratively across silos. uh, Because I, I think you have to be able to allow the donor to engage in the way that they want to engage. And that's going to, to our point earlier about multiple touch points, in order to facilitate that, you have to be willing to allow the donor to choose how they want to engage. And that requires you internally to not be so focused on what my specific program is going to drive uh, and, and be open to kind of measuring those assists and not just the direct basket, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think no, those are the two sense. things. Yeah. And I think, too, like that's what makes this a tough lift because it's not just, you know, when we are developing some of the work we've been doing around responsive fundraising is that we realize that it's not just a tactical shift. It's mm-hmm. a strategy shift and ultimately a strategy shift that requires a cultural shift, both from yeah. a budgeting and organizational standpoint. But I think donors are voting with their dollars and they're showing us today that our current models we're designed for a donor that doesn't exist. And I think we need to be responsive to that and listening to that and identifying new ways to be able to listen at scale, connect and provide those personalized, you know, relationships with donors, even if it's through new mechanisms and not, you know, a one-to-one phone call. I think people opt out sometimes because it's like, well, we don't have enough people for that, regardless of the organization size. And it's, it's finding that intersection between humanness and technology. So I think this is a, an incredible kind of push forward. And I hope that those listening understand kind of the, the mechanisms or the, the ingredients for cultivating donor loyalty and some of these initial benchmarks and ways that you can walk away practically and kind of understand how to be thinking or at least start a conversation. And I think, again, it goes back to putting the data in front of everybody. I know that was mm. the most important thing I ever did in collaboration with uh, someone else on my uh, leadership team at the organization was that we built a dashboard and every leadership meeting, every single week we reviewed the dashboard and it was real numbers 
It is what it was. We had to review, you know, donor retention on a weekly basis, month over month, year over year, and like dig in deep on that. And it's like, at least it was there. And yeah. sometimes it's like, that's that, like, you have to do something with that if it keeps showing up. You know, we were like, right. our donor numbers kept decreasing right. and we're like, what are we going to do about it? Like, what are we going like, to do about <laughs> it? Yeah, the data is yeah. not lying. Um, I think putting the data in front and then talking about it from a humanist standpoint. And sometimes yeah. fundraisers have a challenge between like the data and the human side or the data mm. and the people. And really, I think today's fundraising leaders have to be very comfortable talking about both sides of that business. Yeah. And we all know that the data can be flawed. And, um, but I think actually continuing to put that in front of you and recognizing that, you know, it may only be 85% right. And that's okay. But what can we do with that? How can we be, how can we apply this and take this to, to inform the way that we move forward? So I think to your point, getting that discipline around data is extremely important, but don't let it like keep you from doing things, right? Yeah. And and don't let it also um, stop you from having the contextual conversation about the human side. So it really is, I know it's an overused phrase to say the art and science, but but both sides are extremely important. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I think it, they're becoming even more important. And I think even our leaderships inside nonprofits are evolving and the roles and responsibilities, which is probably enough content for like three more podcast episodes. We'll kind of leave it <laughs> yeah, at that. But the study yeah. is packed with insights. Obviously, we were only able to cover a few. And obviously, it's just the first ever. But if people are looking for the study, how can they go find it? Yeah. So it's, um, it's on our website um, at uh, pursuant.com. And you should be able to uh, find it under our resources section. Uh, and then also, we would love to get feedback. And um, you should be able to, if you wanted to leave a comment uh, there, uh, we'd love feedback on how we can evolve it and um, uh, enhance moving forward and what would be most valuable to, uh, to your listeners. So we'd love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you have any questions for that, you can definitely uh, leave us um, a note and we'd happily share that with Hillary and her team over at Pursuant. Uh, we'll also include a link directly to the study in the show notes. So if you're listening on Apple or anything, you can grab that in the show notes below. It's a really valuable report. And again, it's just a benchmark to help you kind of begin thinking about some of these core metrics that you might start a conversation. Hillary, so grateful for you and your commitment over the years and also Pursuant's efforts to help organizations really think about how can we be more responsive and how can we drive and build lasting relationships with donors, which is ultimately going to help move the causes we're all working on forward. So thanks for your time, Hillary. Yeah, thank you, Noah. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, 
which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You'll also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. <laughs>